Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3. Well, Samuel, as we have already learned, was a young man who God had called to serve him. And we know this because uh, it was a, a covenant that, that Samuel's mother, Hannah, had actually made with God. Sam, Samuel's mother could not have kids. Uh, there was all kinds of, of hurt and family strife over this. Uh, and so she said, God, if you would just let me have a son, I will dedicate him to you and he will serve you. And so God did. Hannah kept her part of the covenant. And when Samuel was old enough, he was left at the tabernacle to serve God. The tabernacle was the tent of meeting. It's sort of the, uh, the, the RV version of the temple. And so he would live there with Eli, the high priest, and serve God. Chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Samuel says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. Now, when we hear the, the, the phrase, the word of the Lord, most of us might think of the Bible, the word of God. And that is true. The Bible is God's word to people. It is the authoritative final word that is, it contains all that we need for salvation, for life and godliness. It, it is that word of God to us. But this idea of the word of the Lord is, uh, I believe, still applies today, but certainly applied then. Uh, all that they had to that point really was the Torah, uh, the, the first five books, and they probably would have had uh, some other writings, maybe Job. Uh, it's thought that uh, Samuel was kind of the main force behind putting together the books of Joshua and the Judges. But the word of the Lord, this idea is a prophetic word that God spoke to his people. And, and all through the book of Judges, which precedes the book of 1 Samuel, that's how it worked. That God would raise up prophets that would bring his word to the people. And so according to 1 Samuel chapter 3, this wasn't happening often. There were not many visions. There weren't many people who were speaking to the people on behalf of God. It's an interesting system that, that God had set up. There was... A leader, Moses, Joshua, later on the kings, Saul and David and Solomon and so forth. There were the priests. And at this point in time, the high priest was Eli. And then there were the prophets. And we see them throughout the Old Testament. The, the, the people, the men and women who spoke to the people on behalf of God. They spoke to leaders on behalf of God. People like Nathan, Elijah. Jeremiah, Isaiah. And then there were some who were unknown. We don't, we don't know much about them. That just says there was a prophet in this town and he did this and that was it. There weren't the famous ones like, you know, Isaiah or Ezekiel or, or Daniel. But there weren't many. Now, it's interesting to me that after the ministry God has Samuel doing, it seems like there is a revival, not just in the hearts of people, but there is a revival in people using this prophetic ministry. And we'll get to that later in the book of 1 Samuel. 
But this is the spiritual condition of the time. Things are bad. We learned last time that the priests, the sons of the high priest Eli, were wicked men. They were corrupt. They were immoral. They were horrible leaders. They didn't serve the people. They didn't serve God. They didn't care at all about God. And there are definitely been times in the history of the church where the people in the office of leadership were not the actual leaders, where the people in the office of leadership were corrupt, were immoral. And so when, when somebody says, what about this in church history? I just say, that just shows people being people. I look at the work of God, the work that God does. And in some of the darkest times of church history is where we see some of the greatest works of God. One night, verse 2, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying in his usual place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Now, we spoke on, if you, I recognize that there's one sort of podcast stream that Faith on Hill, our church has, uh, and we have the Sunday services, and then we have this podcast, the 20-minute Bible study, and then we have, um, you know, anything extra that comes out. It all comes out on this general Faith on Hill stream. But the last time we were together on, uh, well, actually two times ago on a Sunday morning, we talked about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the method that we use to interpret or study the Bible. And there are different hermeneutics that are used. And some people might take verse two and verse three and four, and they would look at it in sort of a allegorical or even a, what's sometimes called a typology hermeneutic. And they would say that this was a metaphor or a symbol of what the bigger picture was. The high priest, his eyes had grown dim and he was not seeing clearly. And it was late and he was asleep, asleep at the wheel. And but the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And I think that's not the primary way that I want to interpret the Bible. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I think it is a way of interpreting the Bible that has validity. And so I want to stop and think about that for a minute. Think about that picture. And you can look in our own time and you see leader after leader in the church who is corrupt who is immoral. And you might say, oh my goodness, what is happening here? But the lamp of God has not gone out. In fact, something I, I was uh, having a conversation with somebody who describes himself, there's a growing term called exvangelical, somebody who was an evangelical Christian and now no longer is. I was having a conversation with somebody and they were talking about all of these things going on. And I said, yeah, but you know who's pointed out the immorality or the corruption or the sin? The church. Well, what do you mean? The, that pastor was the one doing it. Yeah, but the pastor's not the church. The church is the people of God. So it is people in the church who have said, hey, that's not right. It's other leaders who have said, hey, that's not okay. I heard about a church in Houston. Big church. And there, there is sin in, in, in the heart of their, documentable sin in the heart of their lead pastor. And 17 staff members quit their jobs, went into financial insecurity in uncertain times 
because they said, this is not right. And when the pastor refused to repent and resign, they said no more. And the best, the biggest thing that we can do is to quit and tell people this is not right. This is not healthy. There are, there are people who are standing for the truth. The lamp of God is not out. And it is easy to look around. By the way, this is not the worst time in American church history. Arguably, that's back in the 1700s, pre-First Great Awakening. Although I will say we are getting close. And a lot of the things that you read about from then, you see parallels in our day. But the lamp of God has not gone out. And I believe in faith that God is still working and moving. And that God is raising up young men and women like he's raising up Samuel. And that God is raising up and he is working. And that through the work that God will do, like I said, you get later in the book of Samuel and you go from this verse where it says the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. And you get to where there's actually a whole school of prophets. There was prophecy school. Like that's how, how big the shift was. I believe God is still working. Now, what is literally happening here is that it's a time of night. Eli's gone to bed, but it's not so late that the lamp is burnt out because, you know, you would leave a, a fire on for warmth. There would be the lamp on, but eventually it would go out and in the morning you would relight it. That was the way it was done back then. So it gives us a time and indication. Eli's gone to sleep, but it's not so late that the lamp has gone out. And then the Lord called out to Samuel. And Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go and lie back down. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called to Samuel again, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now you could see where there's a boy, and we're not told how old Samuel is, but maybe he's like seven or eight. And the first time it's understandable. He hears something and Eli's like, oh, he thought I called him, but I didn't. Go back to bed. It's okay. The second time's getting a little annoying, but you know, go back to bed. Samuel's a good boy. And then verse seven, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, but this is where it's happening. God was reaching out to him. God was calling out to him. The word of the Lord. So Eli told Samuel the third time, excuse me, verse eight, the Lord called to Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. Now it's gotta be confusing for Samuel because he knows he's hearing somebody call his name and he knows it's only him and Eli in the room. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling to the boy. Remember, it says that the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. He hadn't heard the voice of God yet. But Eli, despite his sin, despite Eli's not dealing with his sinful sons, despite the fact that his eyes were growing dim, he still knew what was going on. And it's up to us who are older. And you might think, Adam, you're a young guy. What are you talking about? Well, you know, no young person thinks I'm young. I'll be 40 next month. Those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while, and hopefully my eyes are not dim, hopefully there's strength in me left, all that stuff. But as God works in the next generation, for those of us to recognize God's working here. And I can help. I'm not going to tell you how to 
follow God, God's speaking to you, but I can help give you some framework to understand what you're experiencing because I've experienced it too. So he says to Eli, or Eli says to the boy, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. So here's this thing that's going on in Samuel's life. He doesn't understand it. And what does Eli do? He says, it's God speaking to you. And if God speaks to you again, just respond and say, I'm listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Your ears are burning. It's going, woo, I want to hear more about that. God's going to do something big. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke to his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Wouldn't you be? Let's look at this from Samuel's point of view. We don't know how old he is. Let's say he's seven, eight, nine, something like that. And he has this miraculous divine encounter where God speaks to him. That's crazy enough as it is. But what is it, the first prophecy that God gives him? Because prophecy, that word just means to speak the word of God. And so what's the first prophecy that God gives him? He is to say to Eli, who is sort of a surrogate father figure to him, if nothing else, a loving grandfather figure to him. He is to say to Eli, the man who functionally raised him, Eli, God is against you and your family, and God is going to judge you as he warned that he would. Really, that can't be that exciting of a thing to say. That's not a fun, encouraging word. Look at it from Eli's point of view. Here's this young boy that you have raised from the time he was about three years old. You have cared for him. You've watched out for him. You've instructed him. And there's a weird power dynamic there. There are people who grow up in churches and they're like 25, they're 30 years old. And no matter how old they get, the older generation will always see them as a little kid because they were at one point little kids. But then maybe God wants to use that younger generation to speak hard words to us. Will we listen? A couple weeks ago, I was, uh, I was uh, on Sunday morning, I was preaching. I said something and somebody uh, had a question about it. And I said, I'm not saying whether this is the right thing or the wrong thing. What I'm saying is this is a question that a younger generation is asking of us. Are we going to listen to them? I'm not saying what the answer to that question is because I'm not convinced in my own mind one way or the other, but I know it's a question that a younger generation of the church is asking of us. And we can either dismiss them and say, whatever, kid, go away. Or we can say... Is the Lord speaking to me? I mean, we, people love to quote that verse out of the mouth of babes, right? The truth comes out of the mouth of, of a young child until it happens to us. What happens if our own children, either literally or metaphorically, speak God's truth to us? Will we listen? Now, conversely, as a young person, Eli was giving Samuel the framework to 
which he could experience God. And, and I think it's fair for those of us who are younger, because I'm in that middle ground, right? No young person thinks I'm old, but no old person thinks I'm young. And so do I have the willingness to learn and listen? There are times when I go, especially I go to the local pastor's meeting, and it tends to skew older for a couple different reasons, but it tends to skew older. And there are times I don't like the term, okay, boomer. I, I don't like that term at all. I think it's dismissive. I don't think it helps conversation. I think it's often disrespectful. At the same time, I understand the term. And there's times where in my heart I want to say that. And it's in those times where I'm sitting there and I have to pray, Lord, remove that from my heart so that I might have the humility to hear what you might be speaking to me. It says that he, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Wouldn't you be? Maybe God has a word that he's given you to give to somebody. Maybe it's literally your parents or your grandparents. A moment... I, you know, one of the most terrifying moments of my life was there was a woman in the church that I grew up in and she was, obviously she's older than me. She's my, she's my friend's parents. And so I want to be respectful to her just because she's older than me. And I was like in my mid twenties. I think I was like 26 at the time. I want to be respectful of her as an older woman, as an older believer and as my friend's parent, but not just that, but I was renting a place from one of her kids. So she's my landlord's mom. And she said something incredibly, incredibly racist. And there was this point in my heart where I said, do I let this go? Do I allow this like it's okay? Or do I say, you know what? That, that's not okay to say. I, I didn't yell at her. I didn't condemn her. I didn't say, you need to repent right now. Like, I'm not her pastor. I don't, you know, I, I didn't was in that kind of place. But I said, hey, you know, that's, that's a racist thing you just said. I'll tell you, there was fear in my heart when I had to say that. Because what happens if my landlord says, get out because you just told off my mom? Verse 16, but Eli called to him and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. I think there's a desperation on Eli's part to hear from God. And so he's like, you got to tell me what it is. And he maybe even knows that it's not a good thing because God hasn't spoken to him for a long time. Why? Because Eli has not repented. When God spoke to him, he said, deal with your kids. Deal with the sin in your ministry. Deal with what's going on. And he didn't. So maybe he knows the reason God's not speaking to him is because he hasn't dealt with things. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Or sorry, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. He said everything that's going to happen. So Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And as all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's words came to Israel. So, again, this is why I have hope. Even as things are growing dark, as it feels like the lamp is about to go out, as Eli's sons continue in their sin, in their immorality, in their corruption, in their greed, the word of the Lord is with Samuel 
and God is doing his work. And there's times where you can look around and you can say, is God's work failing? And I say, no, it is not. It might be shifting. It might be moving. It might no longer be Eli and his family that are doing the work, but God is still moving and working. And God has never stopped. And I have great hope for that. Well, as our time comes to an end, I want to say thank you for joining us again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. All of our social media is at Faith on Hill. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video versions are available on our Facebook. And you can find audio versions on our website, faithonhill.com. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor here at Faith on Hill. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.